9 p.m. on CITR. I play electro and indie rock, and I give away free concert tickets, and you should totally listen because it's pretty cool. Today on the Arts Report, Cantoria in studio, controversial comedian BS, imprint, music and multimedia at Woodward's, and Suk Yin Lee's new comedy, Year of the Carnivore. All right, hello, and welcome to the Arts Report for June the 9th. Uh, you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM and online streaming worldwide at CITR.ca. I'm your host, Adam Janusz, and let me tell you about what we have in store for you on today's show. First off, we have uh, another feature on Cantoria. Last week, we had Mark Fenster on the show telling us about the uh, musical event that will be at the Cult uh, this Thursday. And um, Mark came back with his daughter Zoe to perform for us right here in the studio, which is very exciting. We also have the controversial YouTube parody artist slash comedian BS. And uh, he has um, some popular clips on YouTube as well as some uh, controversial opinions, to say the least. And he shares some of them with us uh, today. Then we also have... Uh, Turning Point Ensemble uh, is coming to Woodward's uh, with a presentation called Imprint. And that's a dynamic triple bill that will feature uh, not only music, but visual art and uh, video and, and much more. And we'll hear all about that from co-artistic director Owen Underhill and uh, arts report contributor Nick Panu uh, got a chance to speak with Sookian Lee, the uh, former Much Music uh, VJ, as well as host of Definitely, Definitely Not the Opera on CBC Radio. And they had uh, an interesting chat about her new film called Year of the Carnivore. So, as you can hear, there is lots, lots to cover. Lots to cover. So, you can hear, you can hear there's lots to cover because I have lots of paper that I'm shuffling. Yeah, that's proof right there. So let's begin, shall we? Um, Cantoria is a concert and a CD that is coming to the Kulch on Thursday, and it is a soulful musical journey that brings together a beautiful arrangement of voices, world instruments, and meditation. It all derives from the ancient sacred scrolls, which are the foundation for faiths such as Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. And, um, yeah, and it's quite meditative and peaceful and beautiful. And Mark Fenster, uh, who is the originator of this uh, project, uh, came by with, to the studio with his daughter Zoe. And uh, they played some, some clips, some lovely ex- excerpts from the, the CD. And so let's hear a little bit of Mark and Zoe now. You gotta wait for the guitar. <laughs> Where are you running? <laughs> <laughs> I 
Mark Fenster and his daughter Zoe singing O-Z. All right, Mark, so can you give us a quick recap of what the event on Thursday is, what what will take us through uh, the night on Thursday? Sure, Adam. It's um, The event is called Cantoria. It's basically a celebration of the uh, CD that we've done, which is uh, of the same name. Um, we're calling it the Musical Project of Peace. Um, it's got an opening performance of the Vancouver Intercultural Orchestra members uh, Amir Hagigi and his wife, Amy Stephen. Uh, Amy is playing the Celtic harp, and, uh, and Amir is singing um, some beautiful Baha'i uh, sacred uh, writings, uh, music that he's written, um, and uh, then after a very short uh, set change, the Cantoria Ensemble comes on, uh, which consists of my daughter Zoe, who's here with us today, uh, myself, uh, a string quartet of uh, from the VSO, and uh, four harmony singers, uh, Pepe Danza on uh, Shakuhachi, uh, Navarro Franco on Udu, and uh, Pepe's also going to be playing something called Water Essence, which is going to be a treat, and some Singing bowls, tinkshas, um, and then uh, in the second half, there's going to be a few musical surprises, including an appearance by Nathan Aswell, playing some of his uh, beautiful melodies from his CD, Little by Little. Um, Pepe and Navarro will be uh, doing a performance on singing bowls, crystal singing bowls, um, plus a couple of giant... Tibetan singing bowls uh, provided by Crystal Works um, and uh, in a uh, program they call Ocean of Sound. And then Zoe and I will have a few uh, solo surprises of our own. And there's also going to be a, a Q&A session, is that right? There will be. Uh, originally, this was going to be the entire second half together with sort of a around-the-campfire sing-along. Um, but uh, as this has grown and blossomed, uh, it's gotten the Q&A has gotten uh, pushed back to Afterwards, in the lobby, uh, anyone wishes to ask any questions, come to us. We will all be there. And uh, we can talk about spirituality, the chakras, uh, blessings, the ancient uh, sacred texts, um, what makes them sacred, and uh, what people are looking to, uh, to enjoy from this and to receive from it. So, Zoe, tell us how you got involved in this project. Well, um, I was kind of involved from the beginning um, because... Well, my dad always says that um, I'm the one who started it. Um, well, 
one one night um my uh, my dad was um was recording just a little um put together of a prayer because he was um studying to be a cantor and um I asked if I could sing along to it and um along with him and um he said sure a few months later um we we went in the store and we um we played the track for the lady at the desk behind the desk and she said where can i buy this like this is amazing and so we were like okay this is this is this has started something so that's really how cantoria started and how i got involved and tell us what's your what's your favorite uh piece on on the cd um i have Three. Three. All right, tell us about them. Um, <laughs> um, I have Aziz Zimrat Yar, I have Magad Lu, I have Veneenu. And why are they your favorites? Well, Aziz because it's the one that started it all, and I'm really comfortable with that. Magad Lu because it's the heart chakra, and it just really warms me. And Veneenu because it's just... It's so hard to sing, but I nail it. So. <laughs> and Mark, uh, tell us, what does Zoe add to um, the to Cantoria that that's otherwise might not be there? Well, in a word, I'd say uh, honest, on well, two words, honest innocence. Um, she brings such a pure beauty with her voice and with her heart. Uh, when she's singing these words, the true meaning really comes through. It's not, it's not being sung by somebody who's trying or wanting to sing it just so or hit those notes or create that, that particular sound. She's just opening and it just flows. And um, it's just such a, it's such a beautiful beautiful sound and feeling. Indeed it is. Thank you very much. Thank you. So Cantoria will be on tomorrow at the Kulch. So that's June 10th. It uh, starts at 7.30 at the Historic Theatre at the Kulch. And tickets are $25. You can get tickets by going to either one of two websites. You can go to tickets.thekulch.com or you can go to www.autumnstudios.ca. Or, if you didn't catch any of that, you can also just go to our website, citr.ca, and you will see on the front page uh, all the links and phone numbers that you need to see Cantorio tomorrow night. All right, we will be right back. North by Northeast is back, taking over Toronto June 14th to June 20th. Seven days and nights, 50 venues, 650 bands. From 25 countries and dozens of genres. These bands have just been announced. Iggy and the Stooges. I am a passenger. The Ravenettes. De La Soul. Potholes in my life. Mud Honey. Lisa V. Fab. Sloan. And hundreds more. Plus 40 of the year's best music related films. All of this for just 50 bucks. Wristbands are on sale in stores and online. Check out www.inxinny.com for tickets and full festival info. North by Northeast. When music takes over. What does it all mean? Difficult preaching is posthumous pleasure. Pleasure in preaching starts in the heart. 
YouTube parody artist and comedian BS took a long, meandering path. From having a record contract at 19 that went nowhere thanks to the emergence of hip-hopper Eminem, to being an investment banker and hating it. To now, a series of YouTube videos and CDs that skewer celebrities, current events, and everyday life. His more controversial releases include Foreclosed, You Have AIDS, That Bitch, and Admit That You're Gay. Rising a few months ago to the top six within the iTunes charts, he's generating lots of conversation, not to mention hate mail. Here's a little bit from the YouTube uh, video slash song Foreclosed. The SUV with your home equity Big and flashy Big and flashy Custom kitchens with the granite counters Keep it coming Keep it coming Then the bubble burster underwater Soaring interest Soaring of loan to value got excessive got excessive people got too greedy people had to have loans were approved with credit that was bad go and blame the banks you better blame yourself should have put some money down and been That was BS with Foreclosed. I spoke to him from Chicago, and he told me about his rather sour experience with the record industry and explains how behind the humor and the shock value of his videos, there is a nugget of truth that needs to be told. As well, you'll hear how he thinks Rihanna milked the assault on her by Chris Brown for publicity, believes banks are not to blame for the foreclosure crisis in the U.S., and how he's more sophisticated than Eminem, who too easily goes for cheap laughs from immature kids. Okay, give me one second. The computer is a little rusty today. Ah, there we go. In your bio, it says that you were an investment banker. And that you had a, yeah, a record uh, deal at nineteen. I guess I guess the cliff notes cliff notes <laughs> my uh, my whole life story. So I grew up uh, in a very very diverse area, and uh, you know, being a little white boy, if you want to kind of fit in, I just kind of took to rapping, and it was just something that would happen on a team bus, you know, like going to a different school or something. You know, we were playing sports, and uh, one day it just kind of morphed into making fun of people, and then not having any musical talent whatsoever. I was just like, hey, well, I can get beats and just make fun of a song. So all that kind of evolved and, and went and went and uh, ended up getting hooked up and having a, a little bit of a record deal when I was about 18. It never really got off the ground uh, because Eminem got big at the same time. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted me to become something a little different on that end. And I'm like, no, because I don't really think I'm black. It's cool. <laughs> so uh, I was just like, screw it and you know I'm, I'm very autonomous when it comes to everything so at the end of the day i just kind of walked away and then i ended up in the banking industry you know like you do natural transition 
and uh, <laughs> rode that out and put in the long hours, the hard work, made a little money, and then I was just like flamed out about five, six years later. I'm like, I hate my life. I'm going to go back to doing what I love, and here we are. So just to just to backtrack a bit, they did when Eminem came out, did they want you to, to be more like Eminem? Yeah, I mean, because I've always, I've never been like, yo, what's up, boy? You know, like, mm-hmm. I'm not, that's not me. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, it's funny, the music industry is, and I'm sure you see it every day, you, you listen to one record, you listen to 20. And, and as a parody end, I think that's great, because it's like, oh, he's trying to be like so-and-so, except they get that, as opposed to another artist who sounds just like somebody. That's what the record label wants them to do. They don't want them to have their own unique identity. And... It was really a, uh, you know, it was an interesting situation. If I was a year earlier, I probably, you know, would have had a little bit more traction and whatnot. But, mm-hmm. you know, it's it's funny. It's you chase the money, you chase everything, you chase the fame, and then when you're on the brink of potentially something popping, they say, "Well, we like this, but we're going to have you do this." And this is a guy who's sixty, who's in a suit, who you look at and say, "Like, what do you know about what eighteen-year-olds like?" <laughs> Because, I mean, and the thing is, is they say, well, look at the sale to somebody. It's like, yeah, but that's because you forced it down our throat. It's, you know, it, people are going to go see a crap movie because you promoted the hell out of it for three weeks prior. So it's a matter of does it stick around. So it was, I guess I could say it was a hybrid of sort of be like Eminem, but at the same time to be very, you know, risque and, and say this and that. If I make a comment, I mean it. I'm not going to say it to make a 10-year-old laugh, you know what I mean? I think I'm an extremely talented, but I think sometimes it takes the easy way out and just will say something for the sake of making a headline and making a kid who doesn't know any better laugh. Mm-hmm. And that's not me at all. So what, what is your, your goal with your work? It seems like you have that sort of niche, right, where you want to shock them and make them laugh. Is that true? Yeah, I mean, I don't find anything offensive. Uh, I, uh, you know, I... I have a very diverse group of friends. We're all very, you know, we make fun of each other's heritages and cultures. And, you know, I know that's not everybody's cup of tea as far as dialogue goes. But at the same time, it's like, you know what, it doesn't really matter. But to me, nothing I say is shocking because I think there's a truth behind it. Like I have a song uh, uh, taking from uh, Gary Jewell's version or Michael Andrews' version of Mad World, you know, the one that was in Donnie Darko and everything. Mm-hmm. And I called it foreclosed as a parody and on my youtube video page people say oh well who are you to say that you know like yeah the banks are innocent well the banks and this is not coming from a former banker but i really true believe the banks are innocent because nobody put a gun to anybody's head to go and buy a six hundred thousand dollar house to say you made three hundred thousand dollars a year to lie on your loan application nobody told anybody to go in and overextend yourself and the thing i hate about I'm going to sound so unpatriotic. George Bush is going to hate me. But the thing is, is that America does not accept accountability for anything. And all these, and it's it's funny, people complain about a bailout, what the banks got. They're only mad because they didn't get a bailout. The people didn't get one. And it's a joke. So I, I put the onus on them. So if somebody says that's shocking, you know, like, I don't believe you said that, but it's the truth. I, I would say the dumbed downness of society creates you to say something shocking, but in all actuality, it's the truth. What about the, uh, the video about, uh, I forget the title, is it I Hate You Bitch or something like that? Oh, uh, 
this bitch. That would be um, that was an older song I did actually when I was kind of getting everything off the ground, and I made a video for it uh, last year. Uh, it was from Faith uh, Faith Hills, This Kiss, mm-hmm. and uh, it was pretty much just saying like, "Hey, I want to break up with this girl. She won't do it." And I kind of did a little tribute to some of my favorite movies. Uh, there's an American Psycho thing in there. Uh, there's a Sixteen Candles reference in there. Mm-hmm. So there's a few, uh, you know, there's a few, you know, little things, little digs in there as well. So that was, uh, and that a lot of stuff I write about are actually things that have happened in my life. So at the time when I was, you know, eighteen, nineteen years old, I was sure I was dating somebody, and you know how naive we are when we're younger, as far as love is concerned. So. <laughs> I didn't know how to break up with her, so I wrote a song for her, and I played that for her. And I believe that was effective in her breaking up with me, actually. <laughs> Wait, so you played the song for her? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and and, and she got uh, the message? Yeah, and that, that's a good breakup tool. Now, you say that, uh, you know, in, in a lot of these controversial things, there is there is a nugget of truth. In, in that video, there's a shot of the girlfriend who basically beat up. Now, you're not promoting domestic abuse there, are you? No, no, not at all, not at all. That was... Uh, that was uh, actually there's a scene prior to that where we recreated the Chris Brown Rihanna thing because uh, <laughs> that was kind of you know that was a big thing at the time and uh, when the video came out and so actually we show her looking pretty much like Rihanna did so that you know that that's a parody on that whole situation because I know I, I do not I do not think that you know a woman getting getting hit at all I mean I think it's a cowardly lack by a guy absolutely mm-hmm. flip side to the Rihanna Chris Brown thing. I like how she portrayed herself as this innocent little girl, but then you see her in her videos and you see her and what she talks about. And she's so scandalous, so racy. She hardly wears any clothing. She's not really portraying herself as much of a lady either. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying she deserved to get hit. But at the same time, don't say, oh, I'm the victim of my life so bad. And you come out scantily clad and you wear next to nothing every single time. It's just, you know, it's, it's the irony of the whole thing of taking advantage it's almost like she took advantage of the situation of, you know, the unfortunate event that happened to her. And she just portrayed herself as this terrible thing, as opposed to if it really was as big as, as it would be. Do you think people would openly talk about it if she was really that scarred? No, she used it as a career device. And if I remember correctly, I don't think she did an interview until... I think she did like a 2020 or a Dateline or Oprah, one of those big things. Uh, she did an interview, was her first interview she ever did, and it was the week before her new album was coming out. It, it, but that's exactly by, I'm glad you brought that up, because that's exactly my steam in the sense of no matter how bad the situation is, the only thing you could do is laugh about it. Like I have a song singing to a guy that he has AIDS and he's dying in a hospital bed, and I don't rip him, I don't say anything, I'm just telling him you have AIDS. And just mentioning, you know, things that can happen while you have AIDS. And it's a, uh, a lot of people, I get a lot of hate from it. But it's a matter of just, you just, it's got to laugh because it's one of those things that, it, it's, it sucks. It's a terrible disease and it, it, it kills everybody it touches. And, you know, absolutely, I don't endorse people getting AIDS. But at the same time, too, if you got it, are you going to spend the next 10, 15, 20 years of your life crying about it? Or are you going to say, you know, I'm going to make the most of the situation? And if I was ever diagnosed with a debilitating disease like AIDS or cancer or anything like that, I would probably write so many songs talking about it. it, it I, think, I think comedy is the best therapy anybody can have. And there you have it. 
That was BS and his many views. If uh, you want to see any of the videos that he's made and um, you know, send him your own feedback, you can do so by going to his website, which is www.1023e1023e.com, and you will find everything there. We'll be right back with uh, the Turning Point Ensemble's presentation of Imprint, and we have some tickets to give away to that event, so stay tuned. Are you a UBC student taking first-year economics, math, chemistry, or physics? That stuff is hard. Are you feeling like you need some tutoring? That's okay, because the AMS offers free and appointment tutoring for students in these subjects. Whoa! How does it work? It's on a first-come, first-served basis, and there's no need to sign up. Just show up with your books and your questions. Whoa! When does it happen? Monday to Thursday from 3 to 7 at the Sub Pacific Spirit Cafeteria, located beside the Starbucks. Whoa! A plus, here I come. Uh, I've never heard that ad before. Um, math and chemistry is hard. Whoa. All right. All right. Moving on. Uh, the Turning Point Ensemble presents Imprint, a dynamic triple bill. The three extraordinary premieres by some of Canada's top artists are on the program for this event. Uh, the three works include... The world premiere of Minx by Rudolf Komaros, one of Canada's most original voices, as well as Cut Flowers, which is a monodrama by one of Canada's most poetic composers, Linda Caitlin Smith of Toronto. Um, it's based on the secret love poems of Elizabeth Barrett Browning, the sonnets of the Portuguese, using only one line or phrase from each of the 44 poems. Linda Caitlin Smith... Uh, used that to create a remarkable portrayal of the poet's searing innermost thoughts and feelings. And then the third portion is called Imprint 2. And the Imprint project began when curator Jill Baird approached Henry Daniel to create a new work for the opening of the new Museum of Anthropology at UBC. Henry approached Owen Underhill, who in turn brought in the Turning Point Ensemble, and a complex journey was begun. And that event uh, focused, uh, the theme of the event was, was artifacts and stories, and specifically the transmission of stories from place to place and time to time. So what they did is they brought back um, this portion, this, this piece, imprint, and uh, redid it, re, uh, transformed it. And I spoke to Owen Underhill about uh, the, new, the new incarnation of Imprint, as well as the two other pieces, uh, which will all be featured at Woodward's next week, starting uh, next Thursday, I believe, is the opening. Now, tell me about what Imprint is. Um, it's a multidisciplinary work, and that's always hard to define. So would you like to take a stab at defining it? <laughs> Okay, well, the, uh, the imprint piece on the program is a, primarily a dance uh, music piece with uh, Henry Daniel, choreographer, and I'm the composer. Uh, there's 16 musicians in the ensemble, Turning Point Ensemble. There's also uh, some uh, interviews on uh, kind of soundscapes, uh, and uh, there's other technological elements. So there's lots of layers in the piece. The other elements include um, 
a telepresence where there's a couple of dancers in another space outside the theater and they are being uh, beamed in and projected into the theater. So there's all these uh, elements in the piece. So is imprint only one uh, component of, of the evening? Yeah, we called the whole, it's maybe a little confusing, but uh, with the whole uh, show is called Imprint, but in, in fact, uh, this uh, Imprint 2 is a 45-minute piece, and that's mm. one element, and then there are two other elements uh, in the show. Yeah, tell me about those. They're Minx and Cut Flowers, is that right? That's correct. So so Minx is a, a new piece by Rudolf Komaros, and he's really one of... Uh, Canada's treasures as a composer. He's 79 years old now, lives in Victoria, and it's the first piece that he has composed for many years. And it looks like a vintage uh, late work from him. And the other piece, Cut Flowers, is a monodrama. It will be a semi-staged theater piece with a solo soprano, which is Phoebe McRae, and the ensemble. That piece is based on poetry of Elizabeth Barrett Browning from the uh, 19th century and uh, she what Linda did is she took one uh, line from each of the 44 sonnets from the Portuguese and she strung that together so that there's these kind of fragments that tell the story of that uh, of those poems which are our love poems mm-hmm and you were saying that the the theme if if i could call it that or or the the uniting idea of it was um was, was stories can you tell me more about that uh what um the what uh the imprint uh, two piece that henry daniel and i did is is based upon um stories and uh, what we uh what i did uh, in the museum of anthropology and it's actually part of the uh, work at Woodward's as well as I did interviews with Chief Robert Joseph of the Kwakwakiawak, and he told uh, stories in Kwakwala language, which is a, a language that is um, uh, dying out, actually. There's only 150 fluent speakers left. Uh, and uh, so he told his stories in both Kwakwala language and English language. And then I also collected uh, stories uh, from participants in this uh, new production, and I'm interested in different languages, so I collected their stories in Romanian and Mandarin and Cantonese and so on. So I'm interested in how um, language carries sort of cultural information. And uh, and Henry also uh, has built stories of individuals. And what he did is he, uh, Alan Story, is a visual artist, and he created these boxes, which are the set for uh, the imprint two-piece. And these boxes are like containers, and they are quite large. They're, you know, some of them are about four feet tall, and they can contain the dancers, actually. Like, they're, they look like uh, houses, perhaps. And so at times the dancers are inside them, at times the dancers are outside or over top of them and they're kind of telling their stories through the uh, choreography and and interacting with each other. Hmm. Excellent. Thank you for telling me about this event. Okay. 
So there are only five performances of Imprint. And they start on Thursday, June 17th, and it runs till the Saturday. So that's Thursday to Saturday. And we have some tickets for you. So if you want to call now, right this minute to uh, 604-822-2487, I can get you two tickets. Um, and it's, that's at the Faye and Milton Wong Experimental Theater at SFU. And um, yeah, we'll be uh, right back. Walking alone at night can be scary! Stop right there, student. Why walk alone when you can call SafeWalk? The safety and comfort of everyone on campus is important. That's why we're here. SafeWalk is a free, student-run foot patrol service with two-person co-ed teams that will meet you and accompany you anywhere on campus to make sure you get there safely. Keep an eye out for our bright red reflective jackets and signature foot logo, and let your next walk be with us. What a huge relief! Now I'll never have to worry about the terrors that could happen when walking through such a big campus at night. For a walk, you can call 604-822-5355, use one of our direct line phones located in some of the campus libraries, use one of the big blue phone booths, or even ask campus security to contact us. If you see walkers around campus, and you'd like them to accompany you, stop and ask. The Advocacy Office provides confidential and free representation, guidance, and assistance to students engaged in conflict with UBC. We advocate for students in preparing and attending formal meetings, hearings, and appeals against the university. Specifically, our office helps students with matters of student discipline, such as cheating, collaboration, or plagiarism, assigned standing, admissions, and financial assistance. We can also assist you in appeals to decisions made by UBC Library, Parking, or Housing. You are not alone. We're here to help. For more information, call 822-9855 or visit the website at www.ams.ubc.ca forward slash advocacy. All right, and we're back. You're listening to The Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM and streaming online at www.citr.ca. So uh, congratulations to Maya, who got a pair of tickets to Imprint at Woodward's, which is, uh, just to repeat again, if you want to get tickets, where is my sheet of paper? If you want to get tickets, you can go to uh, the Turning Point Ensemble website, which is turningpointensemble.ca. And you can find uh, the appropriate links there. Uh, it's at the Fay and Milton Wong Experimental Theater, and that's at SFU Woodward's, the brand new Woodward's building at 149 West Hastings Street. And they are running from next Thursday till the Saturday, or sorry, till the Sunday, uh, Sunday the 20th. The 19th is a Saturday. And on the 19th, uh, they will have a matinee performance at 2 p.m. And I should add that we do have uh, another pair of tickets uh, to give away next week. So if you missed, you obviously missed your chance this week, but you have one more chance to get uh, a free pair of tickets next week on next week's show for the Saturday 2 p.m. performance. All right. 
So that is that. Now, our last segment is about uh, Sokin Lee. She has a new film. You might know her from uh, the CBC radio program, Definitely Not the Opera, or from when she was a VJ on uh, Much Music. And uh, now she, for a while now, she's been a, 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 an artist of, of many stripes, um, actor, filmmaker, etc., uh, etc. Et and now she's uh, making her directorial debut with a film called Year of the Carnivore, which will open in Vancouver next Friday the 18th. It is about Sammy Smalls, who is a 21-year-old tomboy who works as a store detective at Big Apple Food Town. Her job is to deliver shoplifters to her boss who beats them up so they never reoffend. Sammy feels guilty over her part in the dodgy scheme and wants to quit. But she doesn't have many options. She certainly isn't moving back home to live with her unhappy and overprotective parents. Meanwhile, Sammy is head over heels for scruffy street musician Eugene Zaslavsky. He's, a, he's perfect for her. Funny, irreverent, and sensitive. But the problem is, he doesn't want to be in a relationship. After a disastrous one-night stand that goes beyond the boundaries of their friendship, Eugene suggests they play the field to get more experience. Following his advice, Sammy hatches a plan, catapulting her on a quest that takes her through her neighbor's bedroom, the public swimming pool, and finally to blackmailing shoplifters into giving her sex lessons in the woods behind the supermarket. Uh... Our arts report contributor Nick Panu spoke to Sukian Lee, and here is their interview. Store security. What's the matter? My love life. Uh, listeners, right now we're on the line with Sukian Lee, filmmaker. Various credits include Unlock, Girl Clean Sink, and Escapades of the One Particular Noodle. And uh, films of, uh, such as uh, Short Bus have uh, screened at the Cannes International Film Festival. And of course, uh, uh, host for uh, CBC's Definitely Not the Opera and uh, former VJ for Much Music and director and writer for the film which opens... Cross Canada, Friday, June 18th, Year of the Carnivore. Uh, how are you doing? And thanks so much for taking the time to do this interview. Glad to be here. Yeah, so it's really great to finally get this opportunity to uh, talk to you. Um, yeah, I was wondering if you can give the listeners a brief, a very brief synopsis of the film. It's about uh, a store detective, a young store detective, 21-year-old Sammy Smalls. She has uh, a lot of insecurities, uh, low self-image, but a lot of her issues actually through the film relate to everyone else as, as, as well as uh, the viewers. Yes, indeed. You can relate. Can you, Nick? Yeah. You can relate to this idea of like a, you know, awkward uh, love story where people make tons of mistakes. I mean, that's pre pretty much what it is. I mean, I certainly can relate to it. Um, and I have a feeling a lot of people have been more than uh, a little awkward in matters of love. Yeah, the thing is, uh, Sukin, uh, like her, uh, not to give too much of the film away, but... Uh, yeah, don't give it away, Nick. <laughs> Sammy Smalls has this uh, physical scar, but we all have 
our own hidden scars. And uh, uh, there's interesting ways she, she deals with her insecurities. And, and other characters do. Uh, her, her boyfriend, uh, they, they go into these alter egos, you know, like... Don't give it away, Nick. <laughs> like working through their insecurities and trying to find their true identity. True, true enough. I'm not sure. I mean, I guess um, they both go on this sort of, well, Sammy, like, uh, you know, an overachiever tries to get better at sex because it's not something that comes, you know, no one's born great in the sack. So she takes it upon herself to go out and try to get better. And with, you know, an overachiever zeal, she attempts to do just that. Though I'm not really sure by the end of the movie if she's, in fact, better. <laughs> Jury's still out on that one. <laughs> I don't know. I, it yeah, seemed like she was getting better. I mean, I think she was closer to love, perhaps. Let's not give it away, Nick. Come on. <laughs> okay, you keep steering okay, over sorry. there. I mean, I'm trying. Okay, so I just, I just uh, Googled Nick Panu. Yeah. On online and, and I'm tr- just trying to get a visual image of this person I'm talking to you. You can go you're to YouTube. You're in a room. You're in a room wearing a black long wig, looking <laughs> like you're Donzo. Yeah, that was a home movie I did. And there's another one where you're pretending you're Marlon Brando and you're asleep on your you're, you're asleep on your your laptop. I mean, I, I mean, I, this is a voice. This, I can only go by voice, so I'm sitting here in front of my laptop, so I might as well see who I'm talking to, right? So there's Nick Panu, yeah, man who wears a wig, a uh, black wig. So I guess it's kind of more of uh, the viewer will have their own perspective, because uh, well, since you delved into that, to be honest, I related to a lot of the alter ego. Issues yeah, that the I bet. Yeah. I can see this. <laughs> How many do you have? Uh, oh, a couple. Yeah, I've got several too. I have several, but uh, yeah, like Sammy, she goes through a kind of transformation because she's kind of confused. It's like I don't know. It might be difficult being Nick Panu, but it's also difficult being a chick in the world. You know, when you're surrounded by all these images of what a woman should be, and you fit into none of them, none of the above. You know beautiful babe um, in all the in so many advertisements you see but so Sammy tries to you know become that person and in doing so uh, you know dons a pair of high heels and some slinky negligee and a blonde wig and that's that's one of her alter egos and I mean it kind of serves her in some respects but it's also kind of a bit of a pain in the butt too what was your decision behind uh, selecting uh Kristen Maletti for the role in terms of having that confidence in the character that she can portray a character who is uh, obviously insecure but also has this empathy for other characters in the film at the same yeah. time. Well, I mean, that's the trick of it, right? Like casting, I mean, what I did was I cast people who reminded me of their characters. And it was really tough finding Sammy. A lot of actors, you know, um, don't have that combination. I wanted somebody who could make me laugh and also make me cry that combination of happy and sad and um it's really tough to find somebody who can do that who can who can do the comedy but also has the ability to you know go to a very deep emotional place of pulling you know um where you're where where you feel feel something pathos and so um you know, and also a lot of actors, they want to look good, just like everyone else. We want to put our best face forward, you know, light me from this angle, um, et cetera, et cetera. This is my good side. And I needed to work with actors who really didn't 
care about that stuff, who were brave enough to portray, you know, a less than perfect human being. And um, and so when I saw, you know, I, I did tons of auditions. I couldn't find the right person. And then I went down to New York City and I spoke with one of my mentors, John Cameron Mitchell. He's a director. He, I worked as an actor on two of his movies, Hedvig and the Angry Inch and Short Bus. And he just said, hey, why don't you call up you know, Susan Chopmaker. She was our casting director in both of those movies. Maybe she can help you out. And so I called up Susan, and she had read my script, and she pulled, you know, um, from the shelf a, a series of gals that she had known. Uh, she knows actors, actresses from New York City. And as soon as I saw Christy Milioti, I was like, wow, she's something special. So I was very lucky to find somebody who reminded me very much of the character that I had written. Bold and shy at the same time. Uh, what was this whole experience like for you directing for the very first time? Uh, well, it was really fun. Like when you're a director, the hardest thing is everyone is asking you questions and you're the only one that can tell them the answer. You know, from everyone from props to makeup to wardrobe, they're, they're all looking to you. And sometimes, um, sometimes some directors don't really have the answers or they haven't actually thought about it. So I'd spent a lot of time thinking about it, so it was pretty easy for me to kind of respond to these queries. And also I really love kind of, um, you know, um, messing around on, on sets. I like it's almost like a sculpture to me. So sometimes I'd be dragging props across the room and suggesting things. I really had a great deal of, um, you know, uh, imagination to apply to wardrobe and all sorts of stuff. So it was really, really, really fun. The film is releasing nationwide this Friday, June 18th, across Canada. Listeners, we were just talking to the writer-director for you, The Carnivore, Suk Yen Lee. Thanks so much for taking the time to... Yeah, thank you, Nick. Thanks for taking the time to talk to me. I've unleashed my inner film. All right, that was Arts Report contributor Nick Penu talking to Sukian Lee. And uh, isn't she cool? I think uh, Sukian Lee is really cool. Don't give it away, Nick. Don't give away the film. Um, every time I see Nick, I, I remind him how jealous I am that, that he got to speak with her and, uh, and get to YouTube, get Googled by Sukian Lee. I wish I could have had that interview and be, be Googled by Sukian Lee. But <sighs> say la vie, I guess. Um, we'll be right back. Or maybe we won't be right back. You know, we just got this new um, system, uh, computer system here. And I got to tell you, uh, in some ways, I guess like any technology, it's, um, you know, there are improvements. But it is a bit slower. And that's, uh, and that's unfortunate. All right. We're ready now. We're going to take a break. Do you have an approaching test or exam and need help studying? Well, it's time to prepare yourself. The Study Van, www.studyvan.com, is a 100% free website dedicated to helping you achieve excellence. MCAT, History, Chemistry, French, Math, Biology, The Study Van covers it all. Tools are provided so you can create your own study group and do what you need to do. Ace your exam. The Study Van will help you help yourself. Give it a shot. You have nothing to lose, as once again, it is a 100% free studying resource. So remember, when you need to study, go to the study barn, www.studybarn.com.
Right. Now, uh, just a quick reminder that uh, Year of the Carnivore opens next Friday, June 18th in Vancouver. And I believe that's at the Fifth Avenue Cinema. Um, but I may be wrong. So you should Google Year of the Carnivore. And if you Google that, you'll also get to read other interviews and uh, and get other information. You can watch the uh, the trailer and all that kind of good stuff. So check that out. It's out next Friday. Now, um, a few things to tell you about, and then we have one more performance uh, from Mark Fenster and his daughter Zoe um, uh, regarding, regarding um, on the subject of the music from Cantoria, which will be a concert on uh, Thursday. We have one more lovely song from them. Uh, but before we do, I have to tell you that um, all over the weekend, the 2010 Leo Award Ceremony was on at the Weston Bayshore Hotel in Vancouver, and the two-day event celebrates the outstanding achievements in the BC film and television industry. And um, UBC students, alumni, and faculty really cleaned up at the Leo Awards. Some of the winners include Bruce Sweeney, who was, uh, a, UB who was a UBC alum. Um, he won Best Feature Length Drama, Uh, for the film Excited, and he also won Best Direction in a feature-length film uh, for Excited. Then we have Lara Sadiq, who's from UBC Theatre. She also won for Excited Best Lead Performance by a Female in a Feature-Length Drama. Uh, Dennis Foon from UBC Theatre. Uh, David Sir, a professor and several others. So congrats to UBC students, alumni, and faculty for doing very well, for cleaning up at the LEO Awards. Uh, another thing to tell you about is uh, last week uh, I, I, I told you about a play by William Mastro Simone called The Wool Gatherer. And as it turns out, uh, there is another William Mastro Simone play coming up. And it's uh, next week, next Saturday, and it's part of a three-day festival of short plays. Uh, now, one thing I, I should note is that I heard about this play because I am in it. Uh, it's a play called A Tantalizing, and it's about a homeless man, a woman who brings a homeless man into her house and feeds him soup and expects him to be very grateful and to say to her, thank you so much for this, this meal, and he turns out to be a total jerk and uh, basically just um, puts her down and berates her and yells at her. And it forces the two of them to sort of, well, as it goes on, it forces her to reconsider what she did. But by the end of it, it's a very touching, moving, uh, very dramatic, but often funny, um, odd couple story. And, and both of them are, are very profoundly changed by the experience that they share. And um, yeah, yeah. And I think you should all see it because it's fantastic. And there aren't a lot of short play festivals in the Vancouver area. And this is one of them. It's, uh, for more, if you want more information about it, it's at uh, shiftarts.ca. Now, the, the one thing I'm omitting is that the Shift uh, Festival, One Act Theatre Festival, is in Port Moody. Yes, yes, I know. For, for many Vancouverites, Burnaby is the, the edge of our universe. And anything beyond that might as well be Calgary. But really, if you can make the, the trek out to Port Moody, you will be rewarded by a three-day festival of uh, excellent short plays uh, that conclude with a lovely performance of A Tantalizing featuring me. So 
there. And uh, so that's almost the end of our show. We have one more performance here in studio from Mark Fenster and Zoe. And they are going to sing for us They Nay Nu. And you can hear much more of this lovely music on Thursday night at The Colch. was Mark Fenster and Zoe and that will be on uh, tomorrow night, June 10th Cantoria at the Colch um, Alright, that is the end of our show 
Uh, thanks for listening. You can catch us again next Wednesday at 5 p.m. Next week, we'll speak to Jodel Ferland, who is an actress who's been featured in many feature or in many horror films, I should say, including Silent Hill. You may remember the posters for Silent Hill were uh, of a little girl with no mouth. Uh, it was just a face, a scary face with no mouth. Anyway, she's doing um, a small film, an independent uh, short film. Um, here in, in Vancouver, and we were on the set and uh, spoke to her about um, a variety of things, including her upcoming performance in uh, the new Twilight film. Uh, so join us for that. Uh, if you missed last week's show or want to catch any any recent shows, you can get uh, you can hear the podcasts, and you can also subscribe to our podcast, and it will go directly into your iPod. I, uh, iTunes, whether you are able to listen or not. And that's at citr.ca. And there you'll find the tab that says shows, uh, shows and podcasts. You can find them both and make sure that you are um, well connected there. You can also email me. I am very happy to hear from you. I love feedback of any sort. Uh, also, if you want to uh, plug any events that you have upcoming, please do so. We love to promote all events that are happening in the Vancouver area. Uh, the address, my email, is arts at citr.ca. That's arts at citr.ca. I look forward to hearing from you. Uh, have a lovely week. Bye-bye.